so much to be said about trust. It means different things to different people. But I think that kind of the you know, one one way in which I think is is important to think about trust is that I think that a lot of the 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 paths or the gates in life that people could open for us are opened because of trust. People are constantly waiting to know if they can trust someone. And I mean, couchsurfing certainly is is all about that. Hey, friend. So excited for this conversation with Casey Fenton. Casey was a co-founder of Couchsurfing.com, a sharing economy company that have over 20 million users on the site worldwide. Trust was at the core of the company and its business model. Casey has spent the last 20 years thinking about trust and identity. He grew up in a small town in New Hampshire and has been wondering and exploring what his life could be like, who he could become. Casey is now a global speaker on this topic, a founder of a new startup called Upstock, and is also currently working on a book. More information about Casey can be found at CaseyFenton.com. In this episode, you'll learn about building trust, a way to have your friends support you in your ambitions, and so much more about picking projects, startups, and more. As always, this episode with timestamp notes can be found on my website, PortfolioCareerPodcast.com, where you can also subscribe to my monthly newsletter. So here we go with Casey. Cool. Uh, welcome to Portfolio Career Podcast. Your host, David Nabinski, is here with Casey Fenton. How's it going, Casey? Wonderful. Enjoying sunny California weather today here in San Francisco. Amazing. So I'm here in New York, and but you're in San Francisco. And if uh, we were to go to an event tonight, how do you uh, typically introduce yourself? Um, well, I would just say, hi, I'm Casey. And uh, pleasure to meet you. you know, what, are, what do you do? Or what are you into? Or what's your life like? Depends on the event, probably. Yeah, cool. All right. Uh, well, maybe um, that person maybe has slept on a couch and, uh, you know, could uh, uh, maybe could thank you for uh, co-founding Couchsurfing. That does happen sometimes. I, uh, being a, an introverted person in my upbringing and kind of recovery introvert here, I, it's hard for me to just go straight to the, the Couchsurfing thing when I meet people. Uh, but that does come up sometimes, and it's really fun to meet a fellow couchsurfer and share stories and, you know, worldwide adventures and see who we know in common because it usually, we know a lot of the same people. Mm-hmm. So maybe can you kind of walk us through why trust is so important as somebody's developing their career and how they can work on ways to improve uh, trust with uh, their peers? Absolutely. So I've done, a, I've done a number of talks around the world on the topic of trust. And they, I mean, there's so much that can be said about trust. It means different things to different people. But I think that kind of, you know, one, one way in which I think is, is important to think about trust is that I think that a lot of the, the, the paths or the gates in life that people could open for us are opened because of trust. People are constantly waiting to know if they can trust someone. And I mean, couchsurfing certainly is, is all about that. It's the trust and reputation network. Um, if you said, would you like to go stay on a stranger's couch uh, or stay on someone's couch around the world, people would say, I don't know, that's, I'm, I'm, it sounds like a good idea, but I'm just nervous about the crazy people or the bad people or something like that. Uh, but the idea is good. I, I would love to stay with cool people around the world. So clearly, there's not enough trust there. You're afraid of you know, the 1% or something like that. So that's what we did in Couchsurfing. We built a trust system so people could see who and how to trust and how people had trusted each other in the past. So. I think this is so important that you get more life, you get more relationships, you get more transactions when people can trust you more quickly. So I would ask people, how are you building trust? How do you build trust? And can you, can you scale your trust 
beyond just you know meeting someone in person and a handshake. I mean, how if if we want access to more opportunities in life, I think we need to you know, develop, grow our network, and grow our ability to trust and be trusted. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. Um, so scaling trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, that's important. So I mean, one way that you know you can scale trust is. Yeah, with I guess is with your with your reputation. If you're uh, if you have an online persona that you have lots of markers of you doing uh, nice things in the world, uh, helping people, um, being a cooperator. I mean, ultimately, what people want to see to the, when they want to know if they can trust you is, are you a cooperator? And that is kind of something in game. It's a game theory word or game theory parlance. It means, are you looking out for the group? Or are you a defector? You know, you're looking out for yourself. So you want to show as much um, activity of you looking out for the group as possible. You, know, you want to use words that are uh, indicating that you care about the group. You're putting the group's needs above your own even. I mean, that's important. And once you start to do that, and once you start to think in that way, you become that. So um, I, I don't think there's, it wouldn't be that somebody would be faking it. Um, that when, you know, whoever you say you are, you become. So I think that's um, just, just something to think about. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, it's really interesting to say that uh, point about whoever you say you are or whoever you want to be, you can become. Um, and I think that transitions nicely into a, a speech I saw you uh, give in, in Norway around increasing, having your friends kind of support you and your goals. Maybe could you talk about that kind of uh, morale boost, or um, I think I think you, mm-hmm. you you may call it like ego hacking. Could you maybe right. talk about that? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So I've been really um, interested in you know a human identity. Who are we? Um, how much choice do we have in the matter? Are we just becoming what the world around us you know is kind of telling us we are? I mean, if I'm born in a small town and I've only access to certain things and certain ways of thinking. Uh, you know, it's, you can't really be something you don't know about. So all I can do is what I know. So my, you know, maybe my options are limited. Um, I thought about this a lot over the last 20, 25 years and growing up. And I was wondering, do we even have free will? And so, you know, since gone on and have lots of, lots of other thoughts on that. But I think getting back to this, this idea of how do we become who we want to be? How, you know, who, who is it that we want to be? I think it's a big, big question. We have dreams, things we want to accomplish. I think it's not enough to just have the right plan. I mean, we all have plans, but plans that don't always happen because we don't have all the information or we don't know what, how the future will transpire. But I think plans have a greater chance of, of happening and, and dreams being accomplished if we, um, we can become the right person. So I think it's all about becoming the right person. But how do you even become the right person who can make those plans happen. Well, you need to figure out who that person is that you want to be. And you've probably heard the, the research out there that says you become the five people you spend time with. Uh, the, there's research that shows this. And I, I think that's very true. Uh, and I would take it a step further and say, you become the person that you imagine those five people want you to be, or you become who they want you to be. It's maybe a shorter way to say it. So this is actually a great thing. It's a great feature. I mean, we, a lot of times we're tormented by what other people think of us. And when we think of ego, the word ego, it, it, you know, we have maybe some negative associations with it. But ego and identity is really a positive thing. It's a social, social cooperative feature 
So I would say that we have, you know, that we become what other people say that we are or who they want us to be for social cohesion. Imagine, you know, that we're born being tormented about what are other people thinking and we're becoming a little bit more every day like what other people want us to be. Uh, and that's a good thing. Imagine being born the opposite of that. Imagine we were born and we don't care. We have no feeling about what other people think or want us to be. We just don't have a feeling. That's called a sociopath. That's what happens when you don't have empathy and compassion. Imagine being born like that and spending an entire lifetime trying to learn empathy and compassion. Modern society would never be here today if this were the case. So if this is true, that we become what other people say we are or who they want us to be, that it follows that you would try to figure out who you want to be and get your friends to help you become that by telling you and implying that that's who you are, that's who you already are, or at least that's who you're becoming. Because otherwise, if they're implying something different and you're trying to change into something that is different from what they are implying or saying, good luck. I mean, other people can program you more easily than you can program yourself. Through social cohesion, it's a feature for survival of our species. Okay. So, so if somebody wants to kind of be, let's say, a, a founder, a podcaster, an investor, a blogger, a comedian, mm-hmm. then in different groups, they then tell that group of people to say, tell me I'm a comedian, and, and then you can start to act like a comedian and become a comedian? Right. This, it's, it's, it's like something like that. Uh, so if people, if you're saying words to yourself or people are saying words to you, like, oh, uh, you're not a comedian. Why aren't you a comedian yet? I, I know you want to become a comedian. Well, I hope you'll be a comedian someday. That's all basically saying you're not that. And our neural networks, our pattern matching machines want to, like they're pattern matching in our life everywhere. We're in a complex world. There's so much information and so much um, meaning that could be brought out of the world around us at every moment. And this neural network we have, this pattern matching machine, it brings things to your forefront, to your awareness. And it will prioritize those things that are in your identity, positive or negative. So if your identity is you're not a comedian yet or you're not a podcaster yet, you're going to find evidence that you're not that. You're going to see everywhere you go, you're going to see, yep, I'm not that, I'm not that, I'm not that. With the implication someday I will be, but I'm not that. So you're just going to keep finding more evidence of not that. But if, you, if your friends tell you, you're becoming a podcaster. Wow, just the other day I noticed some evidence that you were reading about podcasting. That's great. Um, what did you discover? Uh, what have you learned about podcasting? It seems like you're headed in that direction. Or I could even see you as you know, your voice. You have a great podcasting voice. I, I think that you, would, you, you ask very inquisitive questions. I really think that works well with the whole podcasting persona. Friends saying things like that to you now that reprograms you in your environment, in this complex environment, to start seeing the evidence of you being, you know, in line with being a podcaster or already, already doing it. Uh, that's what you want to happen. We want our pattern matching machine to find evidence of the things that we want to be, not evidence that we're not that. So the wording is, you got to be careful about that wording. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, uh, um, you're a great podcast guest, Casey. I just want you to know that. Um, <laughs> and uh, you're doing a great job here. I'm reinforcing that behavior on you. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much, David. I appreciate that. And your voice and your demeanor and the way in which you ask questions makes me feel like this is one of the best podcasts in the world. I love it. Amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate coming on your show. I know I've known you for a few years now, and we've had lots of adventures over time and so it's really great to just to witness you 
doing this amazing thing and touching many, many people's lives around the world. Congratulations. Thank you, Casey. Really appreciate that. Yeah. Um, I'd love to um, transition. I um, love this one well, a quote that we one time and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but kind of a little, kind of a mantra or like a motto or something that, that I think you've been kind of focusing on recently. And I'd love to, and I might get it wrong a little bit. So correct me if I, I get it wrong, but I think, you know, you've, we really try to focus on kind of intensity, diversity, and kind of frequency of experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as somebody starts to kind of think about like the startup yeah. of themselves or the portfolio of themselves kind of cranking a little bit. Um, mm. How do you kind of think about that motto or that quote? Um, and maybe share a little bit more about that. Absolutely. So, you know, when I was a young person, I was in my teens, late teens, I was trying, I was growing up in a small town and I thought, you know, am I going to live and die in a small town? And I started thinking about, you know, what, what are my options? And I thought, well, philosophically, I can only do what I know. So I can't do something I don't know. So there's, therefore, most of what I most of the world is the unknown unknown. I liken it to, you know, I need to explore enough to be able to even make better choices or decisions or calculations into what I should do next. So it's almost like striking matches in a dark room to see what's there. Um, and at the beginning, I just, I don't know where to strike a match. I just kind of randomly bumble around and start looking at different places. But I knew that I needed a system for going about this exploration. And I thought, well, I don't want to keep doing the same things over and over. Yet, I also want to have experiences that help me grow faster. So that means I, don't, I want to have, make sure I'm measuring my diversity. And then I also want to make, make sure that I'm measuring and getting a sense of, like, the intensity of the experience. And then also how often this is happening, the frequency of the, the experience. Is this, is this happening once a year? Is this happening every other day? So I want to increase my diversity, the intensity, and the frequency. And I'll know that I'm repeating something if I'm doing the same thing over and over again. So, you know, increase the diversity again. So that's kind of, the, you know, that's the iterative startup of myself model that I've used for the last 25 years to get me to where I am. And I, you know, starting off believing it's safer to think of life as like we don't have necessarily just free will all, all over the place. Like we are kind of controlled by the context in which we're born and the context around us at any one time. And if you want to get outside of the statistical probabilities that you will likely experience, you need to just sidestep, do random things, uh, you know, maybe with some intelligence. And as time goes on, as you get better at exploring, you get better at, you know, that intelligence. So, you know, again, striking matches in a dark room, getting better at that, starting to see like, oh, okay, this is what this room looks like. Now I can make more informed decisions about and, and choices. But it's, I think it's dangerous to just believe I think what happens when people believe they have free will all over every single thing in life, it kind of makes it so that people get lazy and they don't get as vigilant about uh, grabbing you know, life by the horns and trying to explore. But when you believe that you could just be subjected to your statistical what's probable, then for me, it makes me want to be like, wow, this is an opportunity. Where do I maybe have choice? How can I explore beyond what is statistically probable? Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. Absolutely. I mean, I, um, I love that quote, striking matches in a dark room and, and kind of going from there and, and learning and adapting along the way. Yeah. Um, you know, after, you know, building couch surfing and, and you're speaking around the world, like how do you kind of think about which projects or which conferences or which startups, you know, how do you kind of think about 
where to spend and plan your time a little bit. Sure. So I would I kind of go back to like impact. Um, early on, I thought, you know, if I'm going to work on startups, you know, what, what kind of value does the startup bring to the world or what kind of value could this bring if we scale or over time or whatever. And so I often thought, you know, there's an early quote that somebody's grandfather said to me. It's like, you know, there are people in life that uh, create problems. If you're one of those people that solves problems, you'll always be in business. So I kind of started early age starting to think, all right, what are the problems that people just accept that are true? For instance, like, oh, yeah, it'd be great if I could travel the world for no money and stay with cool people. But people just accept they're crazy people so that that's just a dead end. It's just like that's over. That, that question's finished. But, well, I would then in my mind, I started to recognize that's a problem. There must be a way to solve that problem so that people can get the value that they actually want underneath it. Okay. Reputation systems. Okay. References of verification and so on. So I'm always like on the lookout for problems and as I'm, you know, problems that I've experienced in life that I wish could be different, that people just assume it is the way it is and that's just it. So that's where you can start to find uh, potential, you know, opportunities for impact and company to build a company around it or an organization or a nonprofit or whatever, something of value. But then I also thought that if I was going to be providing greater impact, I should be thinking about how this uh, opportunity, company, problem, whatever, interacts with people's basic needs. The closer it is to solving and helping people with their basic needs, the more people really want it. The more that it is like removed from people's basic needs, like once or twice or thrice removed, the less likely it'll be to be able to create a company around it that can be large enough to have impact and it will just kind of pull itself out of itself. Meaning if, if there's a, such a strong market for something, then you don't even have to work very hard and, and it just the market just pulls your company into existence. That's the kind of companies that are more fun to work on, of course. The, uh, you know, the flip side of that or the opposite end of the spectrum is a company that is just, you, know, you, you can't even make it exist. It's a, rolling, rolling a boulder uphill. And that's why you see a lot of investors looking for, you know, a, a great market that's growing, that, um, you know, high tides. So I started thinking about, okay, basic needs. Couchsurfing is solving a basic need of, you know, uh, people want to explore. Uh, they want to understand themselves. They want to be all they're on the road, they want to have meaning, they want to have uh, safety and shelter when they're on the road, they want to have their basic needs met around food, maybe they want to, across the board, lower the cost, if you lower the cost per day, well, now you can go for three days instead of, you know, one, or, you know, a hundred instead of ten, so, you know, money is kind of a proxy for basic needs, it's not, it's not a basic need, but you, you know that you can universally turn money into a basic need, solving your basic needs in general, so that's like an example of once removed. Right. So the company I'm working on right now, uh, it's, you know, equity as a service It's called Upstock and it's like worker equity as a service. So right now, I think one of the basic needs of companies is to be able to split ownership and get people to powerfully believe in the company. Otherwise, it's not a company. It's just a bunch of it, it's, you know, maybe only the founders or it's hard to scale that beyond just a few people. How do you? get a bunch of people working so i thought okay working within equity and company ownership that is a such a fundamental and basic need for a company and that will be something that uh, will kind of pull itself out of itself the market will just start pulling it out of, of nowhere if it exists so that's a, that's an example i think that you, people are going to think of all kinds of examples where you know, you're helping people meet their basic need of feeling good about themselves you know self-esteem or may, helping them meet counseling is helping people make meet their basic need of human connection. Uh, so, the, but the further you are away, let's say you're making some software, 
and the software helps people understand a system. And then that system helps people understand how to do trades. Those trades help people make money and then people turn money into meeting their other basic needs. That's so many times removed. You gotta be careful of those that there's not a big enough market there and, and the people won't get passionate enough about it and you won't get enough mind share. So that's my, that's my suggestion on, on uh, how to go about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I can see how trust and reputation, cooperation and alignment fits really nicely with Upstock mm-hmm. and a lot of your prior work. So it seems like you're able to, um, you know, kind of double down on, on prior experiences and relationships and to work with that business and, and, and beyond. Yep, absolutely. I think one of the things I would, people have asked me, well, what should people be studying? What should, maybe what books should they read? I mean, there's lots of business books out there. Uh, but some of the best ones I think are on game theory and cooperation. And, um, you know, uh, tribal leadership is a really good one. Uh, it basically says, who's my we? Who's my, who am I cooperating with? So it really helps you understand that. I would say anything about game theory in general, once you start to understand the basics of game theory and you can start thinking in terms of prisoner dilemma and other games uh, and iterative games, you start to see instantly who are, who are the actors. You can break down a system into its components. Who are the actors? What are their incentives? What do they want to get? How do I create a better system that is cooperative where everybody gets more with less overhead or less input? Those are the kinds of systems that flourish. The more you can solve problems and make it so it's a win-win-win, that kind of optimization is uh, what people are willing to pay for or give their time and attention to. Love that. Okay. Tribal leadership, game theory. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, Casey, anything else um, you want to talk about as you think about kind of portfolio projects, things you're working on now? Yeah. So yeah, writing a book about ego hacking. So this, it's a story in the background tapestry is about cow surfing. And I really want to bring this idea to the world to help people understand themselves better. I think that we are all going through life and our ego and our identity affects every moment of our life and the decisions we make and the ways in which we interact with others and it affects our outcomes. But if you ask, you know, hundred people off the street, what is the ego? Nobody really has a good idea. You get a hundred different answers, probably some of them negative, you know, you say, well, what is human identity? And you get some vague answers as well. But what if we could understand literally like the math or the logic or the system design behind human ego and identity? And then what if we could hack that with the help of our friends for social good to help ourselves, to help our friends become who we want to be. So I was just super passionate about this book. I've uh, been already writing it and uh, hoping to finish this up in the next half a year or so. And uh, I would invite people to come, uh, you know, go to my website, caseyven.com and uh, you know, make sure you sign up for my newsletter and uh, sign up for that. Sign up to hear about the book if, if you're interested. Great. Sounds good, Casey. Uh, really appreciate your time. And uh, Thanks, David. Yeah, you're awesome. Thanks so much, Casey. You're awesome. Thanks so much to you. Thanks again for tuning in to another exciting episode of Portfolio Career Podcast. As a reminder, this episode with timestamp notes to follow along is also available on my website, PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There, you can also record and ask a question related to all things related portfolio career to potentially be included in a future episode. Really excited for you to use these insights to build and grow your portfolio career. And as always, let me know what you think.